0: Welcome to Being an Artist is Fucking Killing killing Me. Hey, everyone. How's it going?
1: How are you this week, Rainy?
0: I'm feeling kind of silly. Oh, good. I'm good. Okay. (laughs) How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling good that it's like rolling into fall and
0: schedules are becoming a thing and Right. Feeling settled. Feeling very settled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everybody. Yes. There is a show on this upcoming weekend. By the wonderful Jamie Vallon. Yes. If you haven't had the chance to get to know Jamie, do it. Mm-hmm. She's got a very beautiful soul. Um, she her piece is called What Exists Here. It runs from November 15th to November 18th at 8 p.m. at the Collective Space, and tickets are available if you go to the Facebook event page. Um, she's got some beautiful dancers in it, and it's going to be a great work. And if you don't have the chance to go, go to their Indiegogo page. Yes. Um, search it, what exists here, and donate.
1: I think it, that's a good way to support if you can't see a show. You're like, oh, I don't want to leave the house tonight. $10 to an Indiegogo is like a ticket, so
0: it goes a long way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So go check that out. Give some support. Yes. This week we have the very nice Aaron Johnson. Mm. He's a filmmaker in Toronto and soon to be documentarian. Yeah, he's working on a really interesting project that hits close to home for him and his family. So that'll be exciting to see how it turns out. Right. Yeah. So thank you for listening and uh, let us know what you think. Let's get going.
2: Uh, My name's Aaron Johnson. I'm a local filmmaker here in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, I've done a couple of short films, which you can check out at runjohnson.ca. I've also shot a few spec commercials, spec PSAs, and I'm venturing into the documentary field. And my first documentary film at the moment is on my grandfather, Arthur Cognac, who was known as the greatest horse trainer that ever lived, aka The White Rider. <laughs> cool. I know th- this is my first the documentary. The first
0: one, but the one that went viral. No,
2: like uh, the- I, this is the first time I'm uh, venturing in documentary. I had two dramatic shorts that I right. wrote. Produced and directed. Right. Um, in the first one, actually won a Garrison Award through mm-hmm. the Canadian university system. Uh, that was called For Lily.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then the one that went viral was my second dramatic short. And it was called Exhale.
0: Exhale. Mm-hmm. What is a Garrison? Just kind of a remember. Garrison
2: Award. Gar- uh, Peter Garrettson was a. Uh, he taught film studies at Ryerson University, mm-hmm. and he passed away a few years ago, he kind of started the film studies program. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on all this, because like, we're talking over a decade ago, I went to film school.
3: Okay. uh, (laughs) uh,
2: After he passed away, uh, they did an award program, so the best films each year through Ryerson, I believe York, U of T, and the major universities in the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, They pick uh, a number of them, and then they uh, count them down to five. Mm-hmm. And then from there, there's an award ceremony, and they choose the best one of the year. And mm-hmm. that's how I won the award.
0: Wow. Great. So what, what art school did you go to?
2: I went to Ryerson.
0: You went to a film school in Ryerson? Oh,
2: okay. Film school Ryerson. I originally went to U of T and didn't finish. And yeah. then uh, went back to Ryerson.
0: That's so funny. We just literally just did an interview with... Um, Laura as a stage manager And she had the same story She like went to U of T and and didn't, finish. didn't finish Yeah <laughs> <laughs> She said it was like Too slow for her
1: Yeah Yeah, yeah.
2: Well I, I didn't go to U of T For film studies I went to U of T For the social sciences
1: Oh Okay So you yeah. went back To a different program
2: it Kind of you know When uh, just at a high After you graduate high school They're like Hey now Go to university And you know Take something And then I just find people are At that young age You don't really know What you want to do no. You go in because, you know, you feel socially, like, obliged to, and then, no, it's not worth it. You end up, education is never a waste of money, but, for example, I didn't do that well at U of T because I wasn't really interested in what I right. was into, and then after Ryerson, after graduating from there, I graduated with honors because I loved what I was doing. After I took, I think, a good five to seven years off, and mm-hmm. just worked and traveled.
0: Oh,
1: wow. So Right, you're like more a more of a complete human after like having a yeah. life experience and then you find out what you love and you're so much better exactly. at it. I'm like a huge believer in that university comes at the wrong time for totally. a lot of people. Oh, for yeah. sure. For yeah. Sure.
0: I also yeah. think that like a lot of students that are in undergrad just don't like, like learning. They're like there for like the social aspect of it, right? Yeah. So it's not until like later on in their lives where like they think that they actually want, they're like opening the books because they want to, Learn and educate themselves on something and get smarter, and that's like a skill they'd like to hone. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas, like, when you're an underground, you're just like, I just want to meet people and party. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> and you're like, yeah. probably living on your own for the first time, and you're legal, and you have your own autonomy over yourself for the yeah. most part, you know? Oh,
2: exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: So, yeah, no, I just, uh, I've always found that, you know, life's worth living when you get up and you go to do something that you want to do. For. Mm-hmm. A living. I also, uh, besides making my own films, I also have worked professionally as an assistant director, assistant editor, researcher and playback coordinator in the film and television industry. And even just being part of that creative process in creating you know, stories for film and television, you know, I worked on the show The Border for CBC for season two and season three as a researcher and playback coordinator. And my hours, literally from Monday to Friday, I would have to be there at 6:30 in the morning to 6:30 at night. And mm. you know what? I got up bushy-eyed and ready to go. Ready to go because just loved what I was doing.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's so different when you're so passionate about something compared to when you're just like doing it for money. Right, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, how do you find like wearing so many hats though? Because you wrote and produced and directed your own films, yeah. and then you're going into other areas. For jobs, Mm -hmm. is that a struggle? Is that like how much mental energy does it take to wear so many hats?
2: A lot of people would say it's not a good thing. I'm one, I guess I'm not a control freak, but I like to have an idea of what goes into every role. Mm -hmm. And um, most people, I'll probably agree with them, you should not wear that many hats in the industry. Um, But it's also per project. Like if I'm doing one thing, per project I will not r- write produce and direct my own anymore
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, the documentary from what I've learned going into documentaries it is something you can more or less wear more hats doing um, it's also a more lengthy process Yes, but with dramatic filmmaking I wouldn't do it again especially if I were to do a feature there's no way I would try to do wear all those hats right. it's too much and it's also really good to have uh, another eye on the project if you will like uh, another set of eyes I mean essentially your partner is an editor yeah he I'm sure would agree with that like even with this documentary I have a friend who is an editor by trade I'm going he's already offered to go in and take a look at it
1: mm-hmm. it makes it's so helpful just for like store if you're trying to tell a story what makes sense to you being on the inside mm-hmm. isn't, might not make sense to people on the outside, so having a second set of eyes is super helpful. And just being like, why is this here? A, mm-hmm. did, didn't need to be, or like, the order doesn't quite make sense, and all absolutely. Of, I'm sure you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Do you tend to follow like a more linear storyline, too, with your shorts or with your work? Or do you feel that it hops over a little bit?
2: Uh, in, uh, in terms the- of like,
0: narrative and...
2: Oh, Shots. with my shorts, because I wrote them. I Every page I can see how I want it to look on film right. and play out. Um, so, yeah. I don't know exactly how to answer that. Okay. <laughs> um, I have yet to uh, direct anything that I haven't written.
0: Mm. Um,
2: I also... Uh, There were six of us who started a production company Mm -hmm. a few years back, and we did mostly spec commercials, spec PSAs, and we did a few shorts. Um, Even those, the commercials and spec commercials, spec PSAs, that I directed, I also wrote and had full creative control over. Mm -hmm. So I have yet to yet to not have that creative control and be in that environment, which a lot of the industry, the majority of the industry is, Mm -hmm. so. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm willing to embrace it, absolutely, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: in the next project outside of this documentary.
0: Yeah. What motivated you guys to start your own production company?
2: Uh, We were all creatives. It was actually a writer's group. Mm. Uh, And then uh, we found that with the gear that we own collectively, And uh, our work ethic, and I guess our talent, we were able to shoot some really, really good stuff on next to no budget that looked incredible. Mm -hmm. We did, uh, probably uh, one of the best things we did was we did, uh, uh, I don't think they do it anymore, but every Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. Doritos does, it's called Crash the Super Bowl or something like that. And uh, it's a competition. You uh, film your uh, Doritos spec commercial. Maybe you've seen the one with the guy, the time machine.
0: Oh, okay. The box
2: on the front yard. It's still playing. <laughs> uh, anyway, so is somebody, uh, you shoot a spec commercial. If Doritos likes it, they will fund you and give you a bigger budget to shoot it properly. And then yeah. it plays during the Super Bowl. Oh. Uh, and we were shortlisted. I think there are like... Like I said, don't quote me on this, but thousands of entries. And we did one called Dorito Zombie.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we ended up shooting it on something like a three to $500 budget. Put out an ad on mandy.com, which is like a filmmaker's production mm-hmm. website for you know paid gigs and volunteer gigs, to get some people to come out as zombies. And we had too many. We had to send some home that came out at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. <laughs> like
1: fully dress themselves makeup and everything no we
2: uh we said do what you want at home and then we had a team of six uh uh, makeup artists Mm. that we had the contacts and all and everyone looked great and we ended up shooting a zombie ad and then uh, uh you can you can catch it on online i think it's contraband pictures on youtube right now or film hq we changed the name uh End up showing this to a few industry professionals that we saw and they're like, Jesus, you, sh- what, do you shoot that over a week? Like, what was <laughs> your budget? A few thousand bucks? Like, we shot that in six hours on $300. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we, are, we are a real creative group and we're shooting some really good stuff. But unfortunately, uh, we had this, no one was in charge.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: We were all in charge. And then we had different views of where we should be going next, and we've all kind of parted ways. It's yeah, com- company just six is a
0: lot of people. Yeah.
2: when everyone has fair say, yeah. in what we're going to do, it, it it just doesn't work. It sounds great in theory, but it it yeah, it right. really didn't work out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, like, two is like the perfect amount, I would right. think. I, like even three, it seems. I think if
1: there was, like, to be more people involved with this, there has to be, like, very specific roles. Sick. Right. Right? Absolutely. Like, if we're going to bring someone in there to do something for us, and then there's, like, putting this in the air quotes, a hierarchy. hmm Right? Exactly. And if there's no hierarchy, if there's no—then it just gets, like, fucking lost, right? Yeah. 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 And if you don't have, like, a specific vision, if you're not, like, this is our mission statement, this is what we do, mm-hmm. then it can go—it's too many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we still, we're all friends and we actually still have work together, you That's know, good. here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, a couple of us at a time. But yeah, I just, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't work out.
1: Yeah. So. There's like no hard feelings there? No.
2: No hard feelings at all? No. No. Mm-hmm. Was really.
1: there like one specific instance where, where it was like finally the straw on the camel's back where you're like, this can't work anymore? Or was
0: it like slowly over time? <laughs> it
2: was slowly over time. I think everyone realized it.
0: Mm. Yeah. So now, do you work primarily on your own? Uh,
2: well, the thing is, is that I've uh, been not working in the industry for a while and feeling the real need to get back into it. Um, that's why I went back to uh, U of T and just uh, is a continuing ed part time course on documentary filmmaking because oh, it's cool. something I always. Was interested in, and uh, the instructor, there were a couple of uh, very, very influential women that are documentarians in Canada, and it was great just on a part-time basis. About fifty percent of it, when it comes to actually the filmmaking part, I knew, but stuff like what you're doing right now with the interview process—that's something that I never knew, and that's probably the most important thing of documentary filmmaking, mm-hmm. and just right. learning some of that stuff so in going back into it yes I am working on my own right now I'm producing I'm not writing but I'm interviewing Mm -hmm. and I'm uh, looking at uh, funding essentially for travel right now and research Uh, like I said I'll probably hire an editor who is a colleague of mine I've worked with in the past and I have a composer and animator on board Mm -hmm. right now as well who are willing to work pro bono for the time being.
0: That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you want to use animation in it, in a documentary?
2: I want to actually, and this is uh, the other thing, and a lot of the whole thing with filmmaking and production, there's so many legal avenues that people don't realize when it comes to copyright, etc. And like I said, I already uh, talked to somebody who's in the entertainment uh, law field. About uh, because I want to option the book on my grandfather what the documentary is about and uh, she is essentially giving me the get-go for the documentary aspect but when it comes to the dramatic I'm gonna have to revisit some things Uh, the the main problem is is that my grandfather is dead and uh, the editor of the book is dead Mm. and the publishing house uh, doesn't seem to be around anymore the book (laughs) was written in 1961 Right. So who owns the rights to his story because I'm of his lineage for a documentary? Apparently I'm clear to go.
3: Yeah.
2: She said, unless I have a very rich relative that may hold the rights to his story in his estate, which I was like, you know what? That could be a blessing in disguise if I have a rich relative that wants to tell <laughs> <Yeah>. the story.
3: <laughs> you know what? That could be my funny right there. <laughs>
2: Uh, but in uh, contacting family members I've never talked to. And this is the other interesting thing. Uh, my grandfather's story is a fascinating story. Uh, he's known as the best horse trainer that I ever lived. Um, this has actually given me a, this strange opportunity on contacting family members I've never talked to in the past.
0: Right.
3: Mm.
2: All that. So it's a whole other personal journey there. But in uh, regards back to the animation question, is that... Uh, A woman, her name escapes me at the moment, Uh, did a lot of animated pictures of uh, my father doing his horse tricks in the book. Oh, and they're these really, really nice, simple animations that I have shown an animator, and he can um, rotoscope them into turning them into moving animations, which I think would add levels to the production value of the documentary. And also, I'm in the midst of cutting a trailer to get funding. Uh, for it so that's kind of how it just adds production value to it it's like a lot of people are like oh reenactments would be great yeah reenactments would be great but do you know for period pieces how much that costs like i just i don't have the funding for that right now
1: so where are you sorry and for it to be like historically accurate and have to like the researchers on that and then costume and set and a horse and
2: yeah oh exactly yeah horror, I mean, <laughs> horse wranglers
0: yeah. <laughs> just the horse on its own would <laughs> be so expensive exactly
2: so I, I'm just really happy with animation right now
0: yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. but that being said once again uh, this woman I know she has passed away as well and I'm looking uh, she was a fairly prominent independent artist and I found some videos and some bios on her back mm. in the day and I, just the other day, I found a couple contacts online. I want to reach out to her family members mm. and see if it's okay if I use these.
0: Right. Mm. Interesting. Um, what funding sources have you looked into?
2: Uh, my, so basically, uh, I'm gonna try crowdfunding for my first time. Yeah. Which a lot. Yeah, we were talking like, about that. I, I'm not looking for a lot I'm not entirely sure I'm working on a budget right now I'm not entirely sure what it is um, I recently, one of my colleagues from this production company from the past he uh, did crowdfunding for his first time, for his first documentary on uh, being mixed race
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, he did a crowdfunding campaign he was looking to get 5 grand I think he raised almost 10 Jesus. so what he's a success power. story uh, after that I reached out to him I was like uh, I won't mention his name
3: yeah
2: uh, but uh, and I was like can I meet up with you and talk to you about you know this and yeah we met for coffee and he's like you know honestly Aaron if you're going to do the crowdfunding be 100% prepared and be ready to make it a full time job while you're doing it yeah, he's fair. like it took so much out of me I almost I couldn't even focus on the film anymore mm-hmm. he's like or have somebody hire somebody to do it so, uh, it's something that I'm, that's kind of the way I've been leaning, but I essentially through the documentary program, it opens some doors to in meeting people. And I'm actually going to, uh, meet the financiers for hot Docs.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: in a couple of weeks I've registered for that. So I'm in the midst of putting a pitch package together mm. to hopefully somebody's interested and people yeah. to help me out there. So. Just,
0: um, do you know what platform that he used or what platform you were thinking about using for crowdfunding?
2: He used Indiegogo.
0: Mm. Oh, they take so much money from you too, eh?
2: See, see, I did not know yeah. that. I mean,
0: yeah. they I think there's like, like
1: a like a standard like 8 to 10% okay. that they take, yeah. but then there's also fees that you pass on to the people that support you. Or you absorb those fees and make less money. It's, yeah
2: oh really see yeah. yeah I'm still looking into all this
1: so
0: if you made if you raised 10 grand you would probably only take about 7500 5, 7, I think is like
1: probably yeah. yeah Yeah.
0: what it is they take like I know someone that they raised recently they raised I think it was like 11 and they took 2 from them just for their which is Literally. like 2 grand of it's a lot of money for like how much you were like busting your ass you know Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. crowdfunding is such a weird thing too like, like, what are your what are your opinions on it? Yeah, before we get into that, yeah.
2: Uh, in theory, it sounds great, you know. Right. And support your local artists and all that. Um, I really, I, I have, I, 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 I donate to uh, his uh, crowdfunding, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I recently had a colleague I went to film school with. He's a cinematographer now, and he was he uh was crowdfunding uh for a short film that he was shooting for this other director and I donated to that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one I know they did not come anywhere near what they were asking for. Yeah. Uh that's really all I know about crowdfunding so far yeah. apparently but everyone that's that I know that's tried it has said it's been quite the headache. But uh It it, is, it's, I mean, it's
1: It's like this constant discussion of like asking people for money is, I, it's tricky. Mm -hmm. Like I understand when there's like a product involved, but sometimes it's like hard to just get people to, I don't know. Sorry, I'm not like putting my thoughts into the way I want to. Yeah. I'm finding it's like. I love it. I love the idea of supporting your friends or supporting people that are doing things that they, like, are working hard for. Yeah. But then it's also weird to be, like, ask strangers for money. Yeah. I don't know. When they're not, like, getting something in return. Like, when you're not, like, purchasing yeah. something.
0: I've right? also, like, seen and met producers in Toronto who, like, are doing lots of shows and, like, one of the main parts of their job is just, like, running the crowdfunding pages and asking people for money. And, like, I mean you're only like one person how many times are you gonna ask the same people for money mm-hmm. you know it's like a bit mm-hmm. it's a bit strange in the sense that i can't understand how it's like the only source of income for multiple projects for people you know right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i think there's like one big pod project and like that's like the only time you've been using it and Four. it's something you're super passionate about and like there's you're not being successful with funding or whatever that's like, yeah, it's whatever. Use it. But like when people are using it, like as their only source yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see for income, it's yeah. like a bit, it gets a bit finicky there. Right. It, yeah. Tricky. Mm-hmm. So I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's a weird, but it's also like, I think it's a good platform right? to like, if you have a show, like you're putting on a production and maybe like people that can't come see it, but yeah. they still want to support exactly. you. So they like throw 20 bucks your way. Right. Right. They're like as if like if you can't come see the show, this would be like you buying a ticket. hmm
2: Yeah, that right? is definitely True. one way of looking. Mm-hmm. At it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I uh I don't like asking people for money.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: At all. But <laughs> it's super weird, right? That's it, the one thing when it comes to filmmaking as a medium and as an art form, it's the most expensive. It's not like going out and buying a canvas and some paintbrushes. I mean it's mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's very it's very expensive to make a film. Yeah. Like uh, it's line. There's so many variables.
1: It's, it's ex- uh, excuse me. It's expensive to make good film. Yes. Right. Yes. Like mm-hmm. it, you can. The medium is becoming more and more accessible because cameras are becoming more and more like, there could be, the technology is becoming cheaper. But as the technology gets better, to make something that looks professional, to make something that looks good, to hire people that are professionals becomes more and more expensive. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. And if you're wanting to compete or you're wanting to, like, elevate your work, then you have to spend the money.
2: For the most part, yeah. And a lot of that comes to just getting your film out there and Mm -hmm. to market it. Yes. So you find that audience. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at what's coming out of Hollywood, and Hollywood's done great things over the years. But i got to say the majority of it now is that everyone's watching Hollywood films because... They have the money behind the marketing. Yes. And they have the money mm-hmm. so you can get these films out. There are so many amazing independent films out there that nobody will ever see yeah. because they don't have the money to market them and get them out there. Yeah, right. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, when, I, when I first decided to go to film school and I just it became, became my life, is that they used to say you catch this bug where it's just like, you know what, this is just going to be your downfall falling in love with cinema and trying to make movies <laughs> yeah. oh you know what you may feel great about it now but it's it's going to kill you in the end <laughs> in some ways it in some ways it does it's just it's it's something that you know uh myself and others that i've worked with in the past that we just don't give up on we feel like you know one day we're going to get that break and we'll be able to yeah not even be rich and famous but just to be able to make a living doing it yeah. mm. would be fantastic
0: Yeah. Also just like having something that does so well
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and then being able to be like, and now all these opportunities are happening. So you're like constantly busy and constantly making more work that you're more passionate about. Right. Having that one opportunity that
1: opens up doors and you like live off that momentum for a while.
0: Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I... I've been very successful in what I've done so far. I really haven't made any money off it. I've mm-hmm. gotten some great accolades. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And uh, I, like uh, this uh, documentary, I can see it playing out in my head. And I can see it being very entertaining and educating mm-hmm. for people. And uh, just uh, finding the time and funds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you ever had a situation where the final product, you've? I mean, you spend so much time with this baby and the final product is finished and it's not what you expected and it's not what the initial thought was? And how do you deal with it when it's not how you thought it was going to finish? I
2: can't say I've been there. I've been pretty... Happy with most of the work? I've been pretty... uh, How should I say? Uh, My initial vision has always come to fruition in the end with what I've done so far, for the most part. Um besides running out of uh, running out of a little bit of time and money and not being able to get everything i would like i've been able to creatively edit it so i still get the story told Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, yeah that's Mm -hmm. essentially where i've been so far i've been i've been very fortunate in that that Mm -hmm. respect
0: yeah you've never had a instance cool
1: Mm. um i had a question moving back to like you're like, you said you feel successful, but you haven't made a lot of money. So how do you define success then?
2: I guess, uh, you know what, I, I, that's a great question. You know how I would define success as being able to get up and do this. It, I'm sorry, you keep talking about money, but it's also time. Mm-hmm. For example, I have to go to my full-time job to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. And I would be able to create more films if I had a little more time and didn't have mm-hmm. to do so uh, that being said being able to be paid as an artist is essentially you know the ideal yep but, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, does that answer your question um,
1: how do you define success
2: oh how do you define success <laughs> you know what to be honest uh, how do you define success to be able to get up and do essentially what you want to do yeah. for a living yeah you know mm-hmm. And that's it. And the, uh, I, I've, uh, one of my best friends, he's a carpenter, and he loves to get up every day. He, he loves to work with wood. You know what? I consider him very successful in life. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, that's his passion, and that's what he's paid to do it every day. So.
0: Yeah. I would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, you're right.
2: Sorry. <laughs> so to, to, yeah, success is to be able to get up and do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean it, it's work. But it's, it's work that you feel good about getting up and out of bed for.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you said that you took a break between, a little bit of a break between before this documentary. What was it that made you take that break? Or what were you doing?
2: It was debt and working full time. Yes. <laughs> uh, the the other thing uh, about, uh, as much as I loved uh, every role I've uh, worked in professionally in the industry, uh, the other thing about it is that it's uh, essentially mostly contract.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So you're constantly looking for work, mm-hmm. and that can leave you out of work for a while. And then just uh, going back to bartending, which I've done forever, <laughs> it, it was just more consistent. Uh, yeah. I was able to pay off my debt. The, the good thing is uh, because I haven't really worked. Oh God, I want to say... About six years. Okay. I've been just bartending full time. Uh, the good thing about it is that I, I do enjoy it in some ways. Mm-hmm. Just getting a little old for it, but <laughs> it, it was consistent, and I was able to pay off my school debt. Yeah. And I was also able to, uh, you know, even though it wasn't very expensive, uh, marry my wife, and we had you know a lovely wedding and yeah. all that. So it, it's the constant. Working in the other industry, that financially it's been a little bit better over the past few years.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Right. And now getting back into it, how do you feel like you're going to um, find time for both? Are you going to try and find time for both, or are you going to try to put one ahead of the other? Probably I'm definitely one.
2: putting one ahead of the other. Yeah. Like I said, I'm also, you know, I guess that comes with age as well and life experience that
3: mm-hmm.
2: you realize, okay, you know what, life is short. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? You know what? You know, uh, maybe I was going to say take a chance. It's not even about taking a chance. It's like maybe looking at it from a different point of view. You know this is still what you want to do with your life. Right. But with more life experience and at an older age, maybe you're going to kind of look at it differently and from a different angle get back into the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's essentially what I'm doing right now uh, with uh, taking this documentary avenue i mean i have a a grand scheme of how i want the project uh that i'm working on now to turn out over the next few years and in doing so and the people i meet and what i create and what i shoot i'm going to see where that takes me as well Mm -hmm. uh in terms of other projects working with other people
0: Mm -hmm. so this is your main focus right now is this documentary
2: uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: How long, so when did you find out that your grandfather was this famous horse trainer?
2: So I've always known that, um, th- that uh, my grandfather worked in the circus and was a horse trainer. Okay. And he worked with Barnum and Bailey's and Ringling Brothers. Oh. I've always known that. It wasn't until my mother moved back from Alaska, I'm a dual citizen, my yeah. mother's family's American, my father's Canadian. My mother moved back from Alaska a few years ago and it was not this past Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving before, we were over at my sister's for Thanksgiving dinner and I wanted to uh, show my wife some old family photos uh, because my sister had all the family photo albums. And in doing so, I came across this pho- photo album I'd never seen before. And it had all these turn of the century photos from the early 1900s and banknotes as well from Europe, of these circus performers and uh, people doing horse tricks and all this stuff. And I was like, and my mom was there. I was like, and I came across this one uh, bigger photo. Of this old man dressed in a white tuxedo with this white top hat on this white horse and he's doing this like the horse's front legs are up in the air and he's like take about take off his head i'm like mom who is this guy <laughs> she goes it's your grandfather i'm like what and then going through this album i found all like these famous photos of him and then she's like you know there's a book written on him and it was quite famous and all that and essentially that's when i found out and doing some research i found out wow he was quite famous he was hired all throughout Europe to train royals, horses, mm-hmm. and then uh, he escaped the Nazis and moved to America. And all these uh, famous celebrities in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, uh, he was training their horses and being hired. He lived, on, uh, he lived on a lot of their ranches as well over the years.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so. And uh, in reading his book, uh, I thought it was a fascinating story And a lot of uh, his trials and tribulations, he was a gypsy as well, which added to a lot of that as well in Europe, being very persecuted. And uh, it's just a fascinating story on uh, many aspects. And everyone that I've told it to in the film world is like, you've got to make this movie. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it seems fitting that you would make a documentary about it.
2: Uh, Yes. Yes, absolutely right now. And I have hundreds of photos which I'm in the process of scanning right now uh, for the film. Uh, The one drawback at the moment is I'm having a little hard time finding footage which I know is out there, it has to be out there Mm -hmm. but uh, I'm uh, reaching out to some of his old colleagues and family members in Europe right now Mm -hmm. that might have something and one of the people from the circus in Europe Actually has One of the circus uh, Cars from a train That they apparently Escaped Europe In uh, That he's turned into a restaurant in Sarasota Florida with all this <laughs> paraphernalia I know What is <laughs> There's a, there's a website no like, So you
0: have to go to Florida. Yeah.
2: I have to go to Sarasota, Florida. And apparently this Great. restaurant is almost dedicated. That's written
0: to the budget for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, the wife's jumping on that. She's like, I'm going with you. I'll be your assistant. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he has this old uh, car dedicated to my grandfather and all the circus people from that day mm-hmm. with all this paraphernalia pictures. Uh, apparently he is really up there. So the sooner, the better that I make it down there as well.
0: Oh, in oh. age.
2: I'm, yeah. And that's a, that's another thing. Uh, why this documentary, I mean, I could sit on it a couple of years and work on something else, but due to the fact that, uh, a lot of the people involved, that I would like to interview about it mm-hmm. are, you know, they're getting up there in age. And,
0: right. Because yeah. If they, if you don't have those contacts, it just becomes stories passed on through, Mm -hmm. mouths that Mm. are elaborated and configured in their own way right and you can't really get a genuine storyline or information that you can verify
2: oh exactly yeah firsthand
0: is that something i mean i know you've never made a documentary before but is that something that you're worried about in terms of like verifying information and like maybe going down a track that might not be or thinking that something is some way and realizing that's not the way it is or telling the wrong story.
2: Oh, absolutely. I've yeah. thought of that. And uh, yeah, that just comes down to research. And yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, the, really in just, you know, fact-checking, researching, right. and then, I mean, you, you want to tell an entertaining story, but at the same time, when it comes to the documentary, you also want to tell a true story right. as yeah. well, right?
1: Right, there has to be that balance of truth yeah. and entertainment and storytelling and-,
0: mm-hmm. exactly. and I think that there's some people that i mean are turned off from um documentaries because they don't have that like sit down enjoy happy ending narrative that like Hollywood movies will have um I think documentary but they like documentaries do a really wonderful job of like portraying information that's like accurate and like touching me when I watch them more personally than like big movie magic because if I go to like The Greatest Showman I'm like oh it's entertaining and it's like I'm happy and funny and ha 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 but like I'm not really thinking about the story right I'm more just like being guided through an experience whereas documentaries you really kind of get to it really allows the viewer to like practice thinking analytically about what they've just seen which is lovely I think so I mean I mean is that, is doing documentaries a way that is sorry, is making documentaries where you thought you would be going with your film career, or?
2: No, 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 I, I, I did not think that, it wasn't until, t- to be honest, uh, when I, <clears throat> yeah, I guess it was just a few years ago, I just found myself in all my spare time, uh-huh. watching documentaries, I'm like, I really mm. am getting into this medium, hmm. and then, uh, was thinking, you know what, maybe a good way to get my feet wet again into filmmaking would be to take a course on documentary wow. filmmaking. And then uh, it took me a while, and I couldn't find one until I found this one at U of T, and it was just what I was looking for. And the timing was right, because I found this out about my grandfather, and as soon as I opened that photo album came across all this, then I uh, ordered the book online
3: yeah.
2: and read the book. I'm like, wow, this. This is a great story, and I, the timing's right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think this is where I have to go next.
1: Right. So. Um, how's the research been going? So you've been looking, you've been reaching out to family members that you've never talked to before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How are you, they receiving you when you come forward? Has it, like, been difficult? It's been, like, open arms?
2: No, it's been essentially open arms, yeah. yeah. Uh, like I said, the the, the biggest drawback... Is that there's nobody I can talk to here uh, except in my Canada. mother I've yeah. done uh, I've done a few interviews with my mother and she's the first great source mm-hmm. uh, for this but uh, nobody else is in Canada uh, they're all in the States or in Europe so essentially with the crowdfunding or how I finance this, the the majority of it is because I'm uh, an experienced editor I have an editing suite at home um, and I own camera gear. I own sound gear. I own all that. Uh, I don't really need any financing for any of that. And I'm an experienced shooter, so I can do all that on my own. And a lot of documentarians do. Mm-hmm. Um, mine, my, my expenses are travel right now, just mm-hmm. getting to locations. Um, but, uh, Everyone that I've reached out to online has been very open and being like, hey, the sooner you can make it here, mm-hmm. I would love to interview, uh, do an interview with you. Oh, great. So, yeah, it's been a very, very open experience. And uh, a few of them are even like, I can't wait to see, you know, see this film. You know, Arthur, uh, that's my grandfather's name. He, he was a great man, and he deserves to have this story told. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and that just makes me even a much more go-getter for the project. So. Yeah.
1: Right. Totally. That's great. Mm. Um, in your email, you talked about watching your friends do other things and like grow into their careers. Do you feel like that's happening for you right now working on this documentary or do you still like feel like you're lagging? I, I shouldn't like put words in your mouth but you're um,
2: <laughs> In regards to how I worded that email, yeah. I guess uh, this is totally... You know what? Every step doing what you want to do with your life? I think is it's going to grow you and grow you in your career in some aspect or another. <laughs> um, I just uh, chosen a very hard profession to you know
3: mm-hmm. to
2: to make it. But you know what? In doing so, there are times I thought you know what maybe I should look at something else. You know, I'm getting older, and maybe there's something else. You know, trying to start a family. Got married two years ago, but at the same time back in my head it's like okay well no, you know what you only live once <laughs> you got you got to you got to you got to try you got to right. give it a go right. um and that being said you know a lot of my friends that you know have chosen other career paths and are very successful right now you know what i am so happy for them and you know i wish i could say the same for myself right now but i'm confident i will one day yeah. um yeah you can't give up on your passions
0: right right No, that's so true. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in particular that you think that's another interest to you other than filmmaking? You talked about maybe that's something that you might do. You're not sure. Uh,
2: Not really. The one thing I know Mm -hmm. I could do is I could run a very successful bar.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I
2: I honestly have talked to my wife a few times about it. Um The fact that with my experience in bars, I know if I bought something tomorrow, it would be very successful. And, you know, I, it would be some hard work in the end, yeah. but I know I could sit back and just collect yeah a paycheck because I... If there's one thing I could do, like, where I presently work when I had a stage to see if I could bartend. I thought that was a bit of a joke. (laughs) Um, uh, We we, we won't mention any names or anything, but... uh, uh, Rainy definitely knows who I'm talking about. (laughs) At the end of my stage, somebody turned around and said, Okay, well, you definitely know your way around a bar, so, uh, yeah... You'll be hearing from us soon. I, I I know, and yeah, I know I could open a very successful bar, and who knows, maybe there's something I'll do one day. But it's not what I want to invest my time and energy into no, right now. No, exactly. But uh, it's it's always an option.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. nice to have like a skill that you could fall back on if you needed yeah. to.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, I could I could get a chain of bars going in this town, and no, <laughs> no, no problem.
0: But do you have a, um moments like? we were talking about why we started the podcast before you got here and you're just like something maybe bad happens and like you're maybe like research doesn't go the right, the way that you're thinking or maybe there's something that goes bad and you're just like, fuck it. I don't need to do this anymore. Like I had those moments in terms of my own dance and my own career all the times where I was like, I can't fucking do this. Why aren't I just like, why don't I just like marry somebody who's in finance (laughs) and just like, we'll go from there. But I, do do you even have those moments or have you ever had those moments where you're just like, I can't, I fucking
2: can't. When it comes to filmmaking? no, No. No, there are drawbacks. uh, But I've never had those moments because I always have some story in my head that I want to tell visually. Um, Even regards to the documentary, there are two other shorts that I'm writing right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, a colleague of mine who's an assistant editor uh, has a feature idea that he uh, wants me to look at. Mm-hmm. So there's always something.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it's just following through. And I think that has been a bit of an issue over the past few years when it comes to, uh, you know, it, I hate to say it, but it always comes down to money, mm-hmm. right? And then, where was I going with that? Uh,
1: Follow through.
2: You're not, not following through on certain projects because, okay, guess what? You're not going to be able to get the budget for this. Mm-hmm. So let's look at something else. And then I think what, it, what it's come down to for me is that, you know what, this doc, the documentary route, uh, the cost is a lot less in production value to get it made. And the way I see it is that, because I still consider myself a dramatic filmmaker, mm-hmm. that if I can make this documentary a success in this story, um, as true as it can be and entertaining as it can be, you know what? maybe I can turn it into a dramatic film. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, that's where my head's at at the moment, mm-hmm. but one thing at a time. Uh, documentary first, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, the whole thing about my grandfather is what I've done in my research and through the book about him and the photos is that I almost see this him and his story as a brand, which would be a good thing to follow through as a dramatic film. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm just with the documentary right now, and uh, that being said, what was the original question? The, oh. Is uh, there
0: anything that, have you ever had a moment where you're just like, fuck it, I don't wanna do this anymore, I can't do this anymore?
2: Yeah, no, I definitely have not. No. no.
0: Um, It sounds like you're like a storyteller first, then you are a filmmaker. Absolutely. Yeah, and where do you think that gene, or that, I don't even know if that's a gene, or like a character trait, um, (laughs) came from?
2: I, I don't know.
0: It's just something that you've always had.
2: I just always loved a good story, and I love to tell good stories. <laughs> and as my wife, sometimes I'll embellish my stories, <laughs> right? But they're always true. <laughs> and it's the, the notion of drama to 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 entertain them. One of the things in the documentary class, uh, there was this uh, one woman who uh, she just wanted to she wanted to do a documentary on um, postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. And you know, she just wanted to raise awareness. Sure. But one of the things in the documentary program, she's like, I, I also, I want to, them to feel something.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's a, one of the things that she, her and I on break time, I go over on how, okay, so you're going to do these interviews and show these things, how to build a little drama. You can educate people and still build a little drama, build some emotion in some way in just
1: there has to be an arc Mm -hmm. right there's
2: always gotta be some arc it can be this big it can be this big and but uh just say i mean you ever go to the movies and you walk out of the movies you feel almost like a bit of a changed person because it emotionally Mm -hmm. affected you some way well if it doesn't happen to you affect it happens to me (laughs) (laughs) but that's just it i love a good story
0: right Right. Do you have a favorite? You said you got really into documentaries. Do you have a favorite documentary? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you find inspiration? Yeah. hmm
3: Huh. No. No? No.
0: Do you have a favorite director or anyone that you really admire, their work mm. or their shots or their style?
2: Yeah, I have probably every book Martin Scorsese's ever written. Okay. Yeah. He, uh, being, a, being a younger and wanting to get into a film, he was definitely an inspiration. I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, he...
0: I mean, he's famous for a reason. Lots of people like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: He's one of his kind. Uh, my uh, wife got me uh, his, do you know the master class online classes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she got me Martin Scorsese's. And him, and just the way he speaks of cinema is the way I feel. Yeah. So
0: Great. Do you, what is, what's your favorite movie that he made? One?
2: And such a cliche right now. Such a cliche. <laughs> really, a good can't film wait.
0: Us. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs>
2: it really is, though. It's one of the best films of all time.
0: Yeah, uh, it is. It's a good one. Yeah. Oh, it's a classic. You're trying to ask the question, see? Oh yeah, we're there. Is being an artist fucking
1: killing you? <laughs>
2: Absolutely. But I love it in the same way. You know, I say, so, you know, the harder you strive for something. And then if you attain those goals, you know, the more the, they mean to you. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: So, mm-hmm. well, Great. Awesome. Thanks, so, Aaron. No, thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for taking your time. No, thanks for having me. Right. Thank you guys for listening today. If you want to know more about Aaron, is oh. there a website or anything, Aaron?
2: There is. Um, It's under construction right now, but it should be up and running within the next week or so. And you can uh, see some of my, well, you can see two of my short films, uh, renjohnson.ca. That's Johnson.ca.
1: Perfect. Also, you never mentioned your grandfather's full name. If people were like interested in like looking that story up.
2: If anyone wants to look it up, it's Arthur Cognat. And it's with Barnum and Bailey's Ringling Brothers Circus, amongst uh, other, others.
0: Great. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, if you love this podcast and you really are interested in it, send us an email, uh, go rate us on iTunes. Um, make a comment, subscribe on Spotify, do whatever you need to do, (laughs) like follow, do all the social media things. Um, thank you guys for listening so much. And this has been another episode of being an artist is fucking killing killing me. me. Thank you.